Goggins drinking. She's chipping the goalkeeper. The pay disparity between the men and women is is just too large, and and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought, and now it's our job to to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's major league soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's major league soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards one. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. What's up, guys? This is episode 33 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, live from Los Angeles. Thank you so, so much for downloading, tuning in, and listening, guys. Again, this is Girls Soccer Network bringing you the best and the latest news going on in the world of women's soccer. Just a quick reminder, if you want to play this podcast, you can, again, through Apple Podcasts and Siri, ask Siri to play our show name, Give and Go. You can have Siri play your newest podcast, play this based on a specific episode, or more importantly, subscribe to the show. And if you're looking, again, for the latest information, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network, and check us out on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Now, obviously, things are different right now. We are in a very interesting predicament due to this coronavirus situation. It has made everyone's lives difficult in different degrees of importance. Obviously, there are some who still have to go out into the world and work, and we commend and thank all of those people who are still asked to work. So if you work in the medical field, if you are a grocery store worker, or if you are working in any of those essential businesses that are still required to be open, we thank you so, so much for the effort and the work that you are doing for all of us right now. You're putting yourselves at risk and yet still willing to go out there and help. We are truly, truly grateful for everything that you guys are doing right now. We have a lot to discuss in this episode. We have a very, very special and exclusive interview with Anson Dorrance, the legend himself, the North Carolina women's soccer head coach, one of the greatest coaches who has ever lived, period, but probably the best coach in women's soccer history. There's no doubt, no debating it. We will bring you that very shortly. But first, we have a word from our very proud sponsor, World Stride Sports. Education and personal growth have been at the heart of World Stride's mission since 1967. While travel may not be at the top of your minds right now, and playing tournaments has been put on hold for some time, World Strides knows that growth happens not only on the field, but off it as well. This is a time for all of us to come together and support each other and play for the same team. When the time is right to get back in the game, World Strides will be there to support you and your team, whatever kind of level or style you play. We are excited to be sponsored by a company that gives players another aspect to the ultimate away game, World Stride Sports. If you want to learn more about World Stride Sports, go to our website, www.girlssoccernetwork.com, and click on the Soccer Nomad tab. Or for more information, go to www.worldstrides.com. Again, this whole pandemic situation has, as I've mentioned earlier, changed a lot of things 
in the world of sports particularly everything has come to a close essentially so when you look at how we are impacted we have to find new ways to get creative and keep going and continue to press on as we are in isolation right and there are many different ways that you guys can do that and still prepare and get ready so that when this is all over we are ready to go back into the world better than we've ever been okay so it is so critical that we can use this time even though we might not be able to see our friends we have FaceTime we have Zoom Zoom's going crazy right now we have so many different ways to keep in touch with our friends and still see them even though it might not be in person, of course, it makes a huge difference. The fact that we can Zoom, talk, FaceTime, whatever it may be, is still so critical. So don't underestimate the power of that. Keep in touch with your friends. Do as much as you can possibly do within isolation to keep yourself sharp and ready to go. When I think of this whole situation, I think of Miguel Everbuke's app, Techne, which she has been on the show before to talk about it. That app is literally designed for using your surroundings to improve your soccer skills with different drills. Like all you may need is a ball and a wall. That's it. That's all you need, right? As long as you have the ball, you're not going to have to worry about anything else. The more you have the ball at your feet, the more you're going to be able to do with enhancing your skills because it's just common sense. The more you have the ball at your feet, the more touches you have to put on the ball, the more you have to do on the ball in order to better, like, it's simple. The more time you spend with it, the better you're going to get. It's that simple. Okay, without further ado, Anson Dorrance talking about not only this whole pandemic situation, but so much to discuss, and we have something we're going to get into afterwards. So here's the interview, guys. Enjoy. Coach, we are all in a unique predicament right now. What are some of the things you've been able to do to keep busy? Well, actually, uh, for me, this has been extraordinarily enjoyable because uh, I'm an introvert. So what I like to do is read. And I've been able to do a heck of a lot of reading during this. Uh, And even though uh, I certainly have an email workload, and, and even though we're certainly trying to stay connected with all of our kids uh, so they can continue their development and training. I've taken advantage of this, I guess I would call it break, to spend uh, obviously uh, more time with my wife as we uh, shelter in place. And uh, even have my kids around me because two of my kids uh, are adults living in Brooklyn. So because of all the issues with what's happening in New York, we brought both of them down and they're now living in our lower level as they're being quarantined for 14 days so that uh, they can protect themselves but also protect uh, everyone around uh, us so we're uh, uh, we've got a family uh, tucked closely together and these are my adult children coming back so uh, i'm uh, certainly uh, taking advantage of this to what extent i can mm-hmm. absolutely you mentioned doing a lot of reading and you know you are also an author with three books to your name Tell us more about those and what was your inspiration for writing them? Well, actually, the first book I wrote was uh, Training Soccer Champions, which I wrote with Tim Nash. And uh, what's shocking with that book is even though uh, one-third of it is absolutely obsolete, uh, the publisher about four or five years ago approached us to reprint it without making one change because it was still selling. And the reason it sells is because one of the main principles for our success is the competitive cauldron. 
and this is the book that sort of introduced the competitive cauldron the way we do it to the world. So it's a book that's popular, certainly in soccer, but also, interestingly enough, in uh, in volleyball, because Terry Laskevich, a former women's national team volleyball coach, really liked it. And I think almost every clinic he's done uh, since he started doing clinics while he was the national team coach, he talks about the cauldron. And as a result, this book also sells very well in volleyball. And then uh, I remember years ago, uh, we were celebrating a, a national championship uh, with a White House visit. And this was, I think, in the summer of 2004. And uh, all the Division One national champions were invited up. And uh, the second President Bush was in office. And um, there was this long security line to get into the White House. And I can see this white-haired guy fighting his way up the line. And all of a sudden, he gets in front of me, and he says, Coach, do you know who I am? And I said, I'm sorry, sir, I don't. He says, well, my name is Pete Carroll. I'm a football coach at the University of Southern California, and we use your book to train our football team with. And I'm thinking to myself, you are kidding me. Uh, here's this extraordinary uh, uh, football coach, uh, and he uses a women's soccer coaching book to train his football team with. And, and when he became uh, the coach of the Seahawks, when they traveled here to Charlotte to play the professional team in Charlotte, the Panthers, he invited me to be on his sideline. And uh, I had a game that day. I couldn't get away to, to join him, but I asked him if I could spend a week with him in Seattle to study his methodology and obviously learn something from him. And he had no issue with that. Uh, so I went out there and just loved, you know, watching how he implemented the cauldron in coaching his football team. He had this, uh, this thing he called Competitive Wednesdays, where every single part of the football practice on Wednesday was a competition between the receivers and the D-backs, between the running backs and the linebackers, between the O-line and the D-line and the uh, red zone, between the number one quarterback and the number two quarterback. And I was just so impressed watching this, obviously, extraordinary coach take some ideas that uh, he took out of uh, training soccer champions and implemented it on the football field uh, for him. So for me, uh, it's been wonderful watching this book and the impact it's had across sports. But the reason it's still selling is uh, because of the cauldron. And honestly, if I look back on the successes we've had, uh, certainly collegially, but also when I was the U.S. Women's National Coach, I can point to the cauldron as one of the driving forces behind our consistent success. Absolutely. That's that's really interesting. And of course, Pete Carroll winning a Super Bowl as well with, with some of the knowledge that you provided. So that that's pretty amazing. You have a summer soccer camp called Junior Elite Soccer Camp. How long have you been running it for? And what's the current status of the camp this summer with the current coronavirus climate? Well, right now at the University of North Carolina, all camps have been closed down in uh, June. And we're trying to figure out a way for us to shift our June camps into July. But right now, the rest of our camps in July are still alive. We're trying to figure out a way to shift June into July. So that's where we are with that. And uh, the uh, second book I wrote was The Vision of a Champion, which is a book uh, that we're now going to turn into a sort of an audio book, but also into a podcast itself and go through each chapter uh, for 30 minutes once or twice a week and sort of uh, try to convince people of some of ideas, our ideas that we use to develop our players. And so hopefully we'll be able to turn that book into a 
podcast and try to uh, sell people on our ideas for player development. Because one thing I also I'm very proud of is the legacy of number of players that we've produced that have played in uh, professional leagues all over the world, but also young women that have extraordinarily clung all the way to the Olympic roster and the uh, full team roster. In fact, uh, when I was watching us win the World Cup last summer, one of the commentators made a statement that uh, obviously was extraordinary when he was talking about the success of, of our kids in the national team program. He said that in the four world championship teams in the United States, uh, one-third of those rosters were trained at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, which I think was a wonderful statement and obviously a very positive one about the ideas we use and try to train and develop our kids to an elite level. So for me, that was extraordinary. So uh, I'm certainly also very proud of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, with this current situation, how have things like recruiting and the other day-to-day -day aspects of your job been affected? Well, recruiting hasn't uh, changed as much uh, as a lot of other things. What's happening to most of the elite schools is we recruit so early. Uh, not only the incoming class for us is completed, but the, uh, the 2021 class, I think we may have only one opportunity left, and we already have... Uh, some kids in the 2023 class and so the only thing that's changed for us is the opportunity to see players that were coming to a tournament in greensboro north carolina which of course is only an hour away from us and so that's been taken away uh, so from that perspective uh, that's changed recruiting we also right now are not allowed to entertain unofficial or official visits so right now because of the coronavirus uh, we're in a dead period which means uh, no one can visit our campus and we certainly can't speak to anyone. Uh, we can't initiate uh, calls into anyone. Uh, so right now, that part of recruiting is closed down until the summer months. And if the uh, NCAA continues to make the same decision they were hoping to make, that should open up again in the middle of the summer where we're expecting to contact uh, some of these young women that we're chasing. Uh, but between now and then, uh, we're basically closed down. Okay, a lot of changes to deal with there. Has it impacted your overall mindset towards next year at all with this? Not really. Yeah. Uh, all we're trying to do right now is to uh, uh, convince our kids to do all of their player development training on their own. And I was very fortunate to have this story to share with them. When I was appointed as the U.S. Women's National Coach in 1986, U.S. soccer uh, wasn't really investing that much money and it's women's national team. So in some years back in those days, we only got together once a year for maybe a week or two. So what we had to do is we had to find a collection of players that were very good at training themselves on their own. And so we developed this idea called self-coaching. And self-coaching was uh, we would expect these kids to come into every camp that we were running fit. Uh, we would also expect them to compete like uh, there was no tomorrow, which is the competitive cauldron idea. But the idea behind self-coaching is we wanted them in their own environments is to figure out things to do to get to their potential. And even though we had all kinds of ideas to share with them, and we would certainly send them that stuff. And back in those days, we didn't email it. We actually, you know, snail mailed it so they would get something, you know, in their mailbox, you know, made of paper. And they would look it over uh, to try to think of ideas from the stuff we were sending them to construct environments where they could train on their own. 
And so a lot of the ideas weren't that complex. It was simple stuff like, you know, uh, play 1v1. Because what they knew when they came into our camps is on the first day, they would either have fitness testing or they would have 1v1 and 4v4 tournaments. And so uh, they didn't know whether the first test was going to be a series of just exhausting fitness tests or if it was going to be this 1v1 stuff. So one thing that was really good about the kids when they came into camp is every one of them was playing 1v1 on a consistent basis. And back in those days, a lot of these extraordinary players like Karen Jennings uh, and Michelle Akers and a lot of these extraordinary players were playing against their husbands or boyfriends 1v1. And back in the old days, the MVP for the United States in 1991 in that World Cup was Karen Jennings. What she did in preparation for each camp, but also for that World Cup, is she would play her husband, Jim DeBera, who's uh, finished a wonderful coaching career in the NWSL. But back in the day, uh, Jim was an incredible player. He was the captain of the U.S. national futsal team. So when Karen was playing 1v1 against Jim, she was playing against not just a good male player. Mm -hmm. She was playing against one of the greatest uh, male players in the United States. So when she was unleashed on the world in the World Cup in 1991, beating uh, the sort of women on the other national teams for her was relatively elementary after spending, you know, six, seven, eight years, you know, competing against her boyfriend who eventually became her husband uh, 1v1. So we would suggest to these girls that they construct these 1v1 tournaments uh, with all of their friends. We would want them to work on a wall to develop power in their strike, but also develop a touch as the ball came off the wall. We advise them to go into racquetball courts and learn how to turn quickly by smashing the ball off one wall, turning as quickly as possible, smashing it off the other wall, and then playing sort of soccer tennis in a racquetball court by having racquetball rules of smashing the ball up against the wall, only allowing one bounce for your opponent to also smash back up against the wall. So we had all these different ideas for these girls to train on their own. Since a lot of them were out of school, didn't have teams to play on. And this, of course, is pre-professional soccer days. And so we always talked about uh, self-coaching and the ideas behind it. So last uh, Monday, when I was chatting with uh, my team through Zoom, I was talking about self-coaching and how this new world we're in is going to have to revert their training development back to that. And the difference between, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, and self-coaching with where we are now is now what these young women can do is, gosh, the Internet is filled with so many phenomenal ideas on what they can do on their own. They've also got these uh, wonderful training apps like yeah, L. Aver Bush, a former player of mine, has an incredible training app that she uh, works with. Uh, someone that works with me in camp, uh, Mike Keating, through his Captain uh, Elite program, has wonderful training development apps. Uh, and so now the self-coaching environment has completely been enhanced by so many of these experts helping you get to the promised land technically. But where we are right now is all the elite players have to do all the work on their own. And so this uh, early uh, 90s, late 80s idea that we did and introduced to our national team that helped them win this first World Cup the United States is a part of what all the young uh, players and elite players need to do now is to figure out ways to train on their own to continue to improve. That's really interesting. History always finds a way to repeat itself. 
you've been at the helm of North Carolina for the last 40 years. What keeps you motivated to keep coaching with everything that you have achieved? You've won everything that's needed to be won at the college level. And also, what has made you stay at North Carolina? Well, every coach will share this with you. I mean, uh, certainly the older you get, the more you appreciate this. Uh, Trust me, there's nothing wrong with the championships. But the thing you treasure in coaching are the relationships with the extraordinary kids we get to work with. And the nicest thing about coaching at a collegiate level is we get to choose the kids that we coach. And so uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're out there looking at these great kids. And, of course, we're excited about recruiting them and bringing them in. Absolutely, our love of the game and the players' love of the game is a part of the bond. But eventually, once this bond introduces you, what ends up happening is you connecting with these extraordinary, in my case, young women that are just so much fun to be a part of their lives, to uh, you know, help them navigate the, the treacherous waters of uh, you know, late teenagehood and young adulthood. And then the best thing is after you get close to them, you get to you know, stay connected with them for the rest of your life and the rest of their lives as you follow, follow the arc of their lives. And so many of these experiences with these women are just uh, so wonderful. I mean, recently uh, I was in, in Bermuda uh, with Kalia Ohai because she was marrying J.J. Watt, the extraordinary uh, mm-hmm. defensive lineman uh, for the uh, Houston uh, professional uh, NFL team. And I got to meet all of his friends, uh, obviously most of them like him, these hulking football players. And it was a reunion for me because uh, 11 Tar Heels were there. So we're all in Bermuda celebrating uh, the wedding of, you know, Kalia, who, of course, is this extraordinary NWSL player and this connection with this wonderful man that's not only a great football player, but is a consummate uh, philanthropist as he does everything he can to uh, help his community in Houston certainly survive this, which he's doing, but also the the Katrina uh, episodes and the amount of money he raised for his community. And so for me, uh, getting close to these extraordinary young women and then following the arc of their lives and being a part of their lives is what makes this experience for me so extraordinarily rich. Mm -hmm. And what is it about North Carolina that makes you want to stay rather than go anywhere else? Well, honestly, uh, I have been approached uh, by different groups, uh, certainly at a professional level, uh, to jump in with them. Uh, I was even approached by a wonderful Canadian that wanted to set up a professional team in Vancouver where I would have the chance to train the Canadian national team. And his idea was to insert the Canadian national team into the uh, Women's Professional League in the United States as a team to help them succeed, but also uh, allow all the best players in Canada to train together. I Obviously, uh, while I was younger, I was offered a lot of positions across the country at different colleges, but the only college I ever looked at uh, where I actually went out to visit was Stanford, and obviously uh, Stanford is an extraordinary university uh, that believes in excellence across the board, so it was uh, an opportunity I obviously had to look at, so I went out there and and certainly looked at uh, uh, their beautiful campus and the opportunity I had, because obviously recruiting out there would have been extraordinarily easy, but uh, I'm a native North Carolinian. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to the University of North Carolina. <laughs> Loyalty to me uh, is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though certainly Stanford would have been a wonderful school to represent, I have loved building the program at North Carolina. 
And as a reward, my university now has built this extraordinary stadium for me, our men's soccer coach, and our two lacrosse coaches. Uh, and they even named it after me. So uh, I think my loyalty uh, has paid off in all kinds of positive ways. And honestly, I couldn't leave this place. And my mother also, we were taking care of my mom. She was living here at the time. And I remember when I was out there in Palo Alto, uh, she called me up and said, Anson, if uh, you go to Stanford, I'm putting my head in an oven. And so basically <laughs> that settled that. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm happy I stayed. I love everything about this place. They've treated me extraordinarily well. And even now, uh, positive things are happening uh, for me in the university because uh, a friend of mine in our sports science uh, department has made a proposal to the, uh, uh, the ivory tower, to the, the academy, to establish an undergraduate minor in elite performance. And they've asked me to be the lead lecturer. And so coincidentally, just before I jumped on a call with you, I was filling out a, uh, an application uh, to become uh, an adjunct professor in the uh, business school at the University of North Carolina so I could be qualified to teach the course next spring. So uh, there are a lot of great things continuing to happen for me here in Chapel Hill, and I absolutely love it. That's amazing. Uh, and in all of your time as coach at North Carolina, who would you say is the best player you ever coached? Many would say Mia Hamm, but of course it's entirely up to you. Well, obviously I'd never you know, single out that player uh, because there are so many that uh, while I was coaching them ascended to uh, the greatest player in the world. And also whenever I, I talk about Mia, she's always embarrassed when the greatest player in the world crown is put on her head because in Mia's opinion, her teammate Christine Lilly was the best. So I wouldn't you know, want to uh, embarrass anyone by trying to declare one. But I've had the privilege of coaching some extraordinary players. And obviously Mia is in the pantheons of the all-time greats. But the thing that separated me, and I'm glad you have given me an opportunity to speak about her, is there are all kinds of ways to build our game. And the thing I love about Mia is, yes, there was a stretch when she was the greatest player in the world and in the conversation to possibly be the greatest player of all time. But no player has done as much as Mia to build our game. Back when we were building our game, and obviously there were a lot of platforms that were used to help us build the game, and obviously Nike and Gatorade and these other companies jumped in to use Mia as a conduit to promote their uh, brand. But what was she, she was given an opportunity to do was to excite every family out there to jump into our game. And the popularity of our game during that stretch when Mia was basically shilling for us took off unbelievably. And the legacy she leaves is not just a great player legacy, but the legacy she leaves is a, a brand ambassador for the sport itself. Because it culminated in the 1999 World Cup, where 90,000 people paid top dollar to watch the World Championship final in the Rose Bowl. And so I think Amia's legacy is beyond just being a phenomenal player. It's also being an ambassador. And anyone that interviewed her loved talking to her. Because unlike so many athletes that respond in cliches, you know, what, what do you think of your performance just now? Well, you know, I was really, you know, great. I was proud of my team. And, and they would sort of answer every question in these athletic cliches. 
what the reporters loved about Mia is when a reporter asked her a question, she'd actually reflect on it and then give an extraordinary answer that just separated her. And obviously being not just charismatic, but also attractive. And, you know, let's face it, even though, you know, people will say, you know, what a sexist approach for selling the game. Uh, we can't deny the fact that, you know, attractive people do sell things. And so even the fact that she was, you know, camera photogenic contributed as well to the incredible growth of our game at the time. And then every mom wanted their kid to be Mia. And uh, gosh, the amount of attention she got in the most positive way and the way she represented us, I think is a story we don't tell enough about this extraordinarily giving and charismatic superstar. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Now, as we look ahead to potentially next season, do you set expectations and goals with your team before the season? Or do you try to focus more on taking it one day at a time in order to get better? Yeah, I think the trouble with, uh, you know, setting all these lofty goals, and obviously they're, uh, I think teams across the country will all say their goal is to win the national championship. And if you interviewed any one of my kids, they would say the same thing. I never uh, talk about that. A program like ours is under enough pressure as it is because of our, our tradition and history. So I don't really uh, talk about that. And this is becoming almost a cliche in coaching. But what all of us have to do from a, a coaching perspective is to talk about the process, to talk about what each player needs to do to get to her potential, uh, to talk about the leadership uh, qualities that we need on the, the uh, players uh, to bring the freshmen in, to uh, basically drive performance in practice, to solve the problems in games if we're struggling. Uh, and so there's so many different areas that uh, we address um, for me, the, the, the goal setting is only done with each player individually, and the goals are process goals about, all right, here's a, a thing we need to add to your game. Here's what we need to do to add it there. In other words, you got to do this, this, and this, and then your game will go to this level. And so for me, uh, that's my moral imperative, is to get the players up to their potential. And this is done in all kinds of ways, certainly in practice, but also with the culture, uh, with our leaders, and uh, those are the ways we try to drive performance. Okay. And last year's loss in the title game, in, in the way that it happened, in, in the shootout, do moments like those act as motivation or more as a learning experience for you and your team? Well, uh, I was very proud of uh, that game, actually. Uh, Stanford was much better than we were, and we, uh, we had a chance. We had one chance in regulation. And obviously you can win on penalty kicks. Uh, the best team doesn't always win on penalty kicks, so we had basically two chances to win. But honestly, the game was not a loss. The game was actually a tie. And that was probably the greatest Stanford team in the history of uh, the game. And so for us uh, to have lost our best player uh, in the quarterfinals in Emily Fox and to still shut out Stanford, who had the most explosive attacking team in the history of the game, uh, it's an extraordinary achievement. So I wasn't disappointed in the least. I mean, if I've learned something, uh, it's uh, I've got to continue to work on what we're doing in uh, penalty kicks because I couldn't have been any happier with our game performance. I don't want to pretend that we dominated the game because we did not. Mm -hmm. But we actually had stretches of the game where uh, we were pinning them in their end. We were making it hard for them. 
And even though they clearly had more finishing chances than we did, uh, the fact that, that we kept it close and tied the game at the end is to the credit of those young women out there. So I was very proud of that performance. And uh, I don't look back with any disappointment at all. Okay. Last question. What is your advice to all the young girls out there looking to make it as a collegiate or pro athlete since you are incredibly well-versed in being able to do that? Well, there, there are eight things we talk about with our kids when we talk about the process. And if they can check all eight of these boxes, they're going to get to their potential. And what it comes down to is this. You need extraordinary self-discipline if you want to succeed in this game. But that's not all. You've got to also have wonderful competitive fire. You also have to have fantastic self-belief. But that's not all. In order for you to invest the amount of time that's required for you to be a master of the ball, like a, a Tobin Heath, you've got to love the ball. And uh, so much of this is lost on kids that have the ambition to get to their potential. Because if you don't love the ball, you're not going to spend enough time on it to master it. So self-discipline, competitive fire, self-belief, love the ball. You also have to love the game. You have to love not only playing it, but watching it. And one of the biggest problems right now for our young girls and our women is they don't watch the game. The boys do. I mean, the men's team at the University of North Carolina, I always love it when one of my girls on my roster is dating one of the boys on the men's roster. Why? Because here's what I know. If they're spending time together, trust me, that pair, that couple, is watching the elite EPL games. They're watching, you know, Liverpool and Man City and basically, you know, Barcelona and Bayern. And they're watching all the best games with the best teams in the world. And that's what has to happen if our culture is going to continue to evolve and ascend. So self-discipline, competitive fire, self-belief, love of the ball, love of playing the game. So pickup, you should be organizing pickup every single day, wherever you are. Love of playing the game, love of watching the game. Grit, because that has to be a part of who you are. Just to become extraordinary at anything is going to require just this relentless grit to keep grinding away, to keep improving every aspect of your game. And then coachability. You have to have the respect for the people that are trying to guide you to the promised land, to think about everything they're telling you, and then getting it into your game. So those eight qualities are the eight qualities we talk about in the individual conferences we have with our players at the University of North Carolina. And we can see them progress as they adopt all eight. And the kids that make it at the highest level, they basically uh, have those eight and some of them in absolute spades. And so that's what we encourage our girls uh, to check all eight of those boxes to get to the promised land. Okay, Anson Dorrance, the legend. That was quite an incredible interview to be able to speak with someone of his knowledge and his experience. There were some great gems in there, talking about being at Kaylee Ojai's wedding, talking about what it means to be a coach and and to be able to maintain the relationships that he's had over the years with some of his players. You talk about who the best player that he's coached is, is Mia Hamm. And what he had to say about Mia Hamm was, you know, something that, as he mentioned, is not said enough. And again, Mia Hamm is so humble that she would not want the attention. She is more than willing to, to deflect and, and give it off to her teammates. But there is a quote that 
Mia Hamm has in one of her books that Anson actually left for her. The story was he saw her getting ready, either just practicing on an empty field, right? And this is where he created this quote with one of his books, Vision of a Champion. Anson, he said, I quote, The vision of a champion is someone who is bent over, drenched in sweat, at the point of exhaustion, when nobody else is watching. That right there sums up exactly what you can do right now in this current situation, in this current climate. No one is watching you, right? You might have a family member, you might have siblings around with you to kind of keep you in check, but there are no fans, there is no opponent, there is no one around you. Now is the time to put in the work and continually get better. You have no other reason, you have no excuses. All you can be doing is having that ball at your feet and playing around with it and find different ways, again, to keep yourself busy, okay? One thing we cannot forget to leave out. We, alongside Anson Dorrance, the Girls Soccer Network, we've teamed up with him to create an Ansonisms series. You can tell, as I just quoted him, he is such a quotable man. He has some incredible, incredible knowledge and insight towards this game. And so we are going to be releasing a weekly series with Anson to kind of, again, keep you inspired, not just through this pandemic, but the future as well. So again, we're talking about North Carolina. They literally are, again, the best college soccer program. They may not have won titles recently, but we know what they're capable of. And again, his body of work over 40 years really speaks for itself. He has never lost more than five games in a season. You look at his record at North Carolina, not lost more than five games once in a season, which essentially guarantees NCAA tournament play and guarantees you're going to make a deep run when you have teams that are that good. So again, Anson Dorrance, we hope you enjoyed that interview. He really had quite a lot to say, and we appreciated every single second of it. While there might not be as much news as we would have hoped in the women's soccer realm, there still are a couple of things that we can still recap and discuss before this this virus hit. The first thing was the She Believes Cup kind of finished just in time, literally just in time. I, I would say maybe the week before we decided to enter this stay-at-home order and, and fully quarantine ourselves. This was going to be... Vladko Antonovsky's first real test against legitimate competitions. So you're talking England, Spain, Japan. And I thought it was interesting how they had to play England in the first matchup, many who we perceived to be their toughest matchup initially, yet not sure why Phil Neville did this, but not starting Bethany England against the United States was a major, major mistake. Uh, she's the informed player, someone who is really going to test the United States backline and for her to come on down 2-0 in the 80-something minute was not not the right move in my opinion. Uh, didn't make sense but you know England did what they could. They're, they are constantly trying to prove that they have made up ground with the United States and they are rapidly getting there but in this matchup it did not seem like the England team from the prior year who, who were the champions and, and really made a statement against the United States getting that draw. So England, again, 
slightly taking a step back, unable to take their chances. The United States were fantastic. Of course, Kristen Press was arguably the MVP of the tournament, really kind of proving how elite she can be and really worked her way into the discussion for being a full-time player in the starting 11 rather than coming off the bench. That was in the first match against England. Second match against Spain, again, we recall the World Cup round of 16. That was arguably the United States' toughest match of the World Cup. And again, Spain brought that same outfit, that same formation, and that same style to this matchup where they defended incredibly well, defended compactly, possessed the ball, were able to get into the game because of how they pass the ball and how technical they are on the ball with their quality, right? If you have that level of quality, you're going to be able to play with the United States and you're going to be able to, again, take some of that high press that they like to implement and get those lungs going, make them a little more tired and fatigued. So Spain were able to do that, again, made things very interesting throughout. But again, the Americans were simply too good. Vladko Andonovsky is changing the game with how the Americans are playing. And it could be a brand new style of offensive attacking football that we have never seen before. And it is truly, truly exciting. So the way that they were able to defeat Spain when it seemed like, you know, the winner was would be in the driver's seat to go on and, and win, essentially be the champions of this tournament, they handled Spain fairly well considering it was very tight for most of this game. Again, do not slack on Japan either because they were the ones who were able to score, okay? They were the ones who were able to score on the United States, again, with that same tiki-taka possess. All it takes is one pass, one move, and a great finish, and Japan were able to get themselves back into the game against the United States, but just to highlight some other great players, Lindsey Horan, again, was deadly. Julie Ertz, of course, you cannot forget her and how critical she is, always takes a beating. Everyone comes after her. Everyone comes after her so hard, and she always gets up, is is tough as nails, right? What would we do without her? We would be so lost without her. Lynn Williams also was phenomenal. Everyone's going to talk about her speed and her pace, but her ability to put crosses into the box, her ability to finish, she showed all of it off during this cup against the best competition. So she also has impressed, and it really makes you wonder why, again, Jill Ellis never had her in the team. I guess, you know, there were times where Williams did have an injury or two, but again, playing for the Courage, always one of the best strikers in the league. There's no doubt that she should be on the pitch just a little more often. The other major, major key news here is before that last match against Japan, there was all of this news about the U.S. Women's National Team lawsuit for equal pay. And then the U.S. Soccer Federation coming out with that letter. Yikes. You want to talk about a poor decision from the U.S. Soccer Federation to really rub salt in the wound? I I don't think that is what many people were expecting. And for them to come out and say that they are not as important, and then you use specific adjectives like skill and speed and strength to describe the fact that they don't deserve it because of such and such reasons, that was a 
I would say cowardly move to do something of that nature. It just did not make sense. And they caught a lot of flack for it. Carlos Cordero had to resign. And, you know, they finally decided to change the rewording of the letter so that it would be a little more friendly towards the women. But at that point, the damage had already been done. The amazing thing that happened from all of this was before the game, the U.S. women turned their warm-ups inside out in a sign of protest, as a form of protest. And what did it do? It created this iconic image where you can see the four stars still outlined above what would be the USA crest, but you can't see the crest. So it's almost this symbolic move of we have won these four championships. We have these four world titles, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be proud to display our USA badge. And that would have definitely caught the attention of everyone. It did catch the attention of everyone and of course, you could probably go online and buy some of those iconic shirts with the four stars and outline of the logo. Again, a genius move by whoever made those. But the fact that they are so willing to stand up for what is right and to make a protest on the fly like that, like that quickly, they were able to say, no, this is, this is what we're going to do. And to really just continue to be trailblazers in this way, they're going to continue to fight you know, you have sports like tennis where tennis has been able to bridge the gap, okay? They, they've understood that the stars in tennis can do enough. They are more than enough to bring in the money and the sponsorship and everything necessary. If tennis can do it, it is a little different because tennis is one person. It's an individual sport. Soccer is a team sport. But with that being said, if tennis is capable around the world of making pay equal... I really think it should not have taken this long for the women in soccer to have to go through the same thing. Because you look at the U.S. women's team and you compare it to the U.S. men's team, how many stars can you like actually name on the men's team compared to the women's team? The women's team, you can name the entire starting lineup, and they're all-stars. It's literally a team of all-stars, right? The men's team, Christian Pulisic. And I honestly don't even care to think about who else is there. We've got a, a ton of young players in the men's side, and it's a rebuild and whatnot, but you want to compare the star power, right? You want to compare an overall quality? The women are better. Let's let's get that right. Let's get that right off the bat. The women are simply better than the men right now, okay? that That's a fact. That is a clear-as-day fact. And we need to accept it, and we need to get these women paid they deserve to be paid for what they do like paid the right way not half of not 75 percent of not even 99 percent 100 percent the same that is what we need that is what we need other important piece of news was the w league concluding their league again right at the end of their season really towards the beginning of when this whole situation started. Again, we were all, I would say, we were all in quarantine for at least a couple days to a week. And they still decided, luckily, all they had to do was play the final. So they said, we're going to do it in an empty stadium. And seeing all these sporting events being played in empty stadiums was an absolute trip. Um, and, and I couldn't tell if it impacted the players out on the pitch, and I'm sure the players will say that playing in front of an empty stadium won't impact them. It may impact some of them, but like most of them will say it wouldn't. 
but I really do think energy plays a big factor in when you hear that crowd going. There are some who are going to be influenced by what's going on in the crowd and just that overall energy of a grand final, a W League grand final, that stadium would have been full, right? The stadium would have been full for a game like that. But, you know, I think it kind of helped out Melbourne City against Sydney FC, essentially a rematch of last year's W League final. And you look at these two teams, again, the two best teams in the league, you'd have to think. Western Sydney Wanderers were in the discussion, but these two teams were headed for a a collision course similar to last year. Last year, Sydney FC got the better of Melbourne City, but this year, Melbourne City were looking to complete an undefeated season, and they were able to do so. They won their fourth title in five years. Emily Van Egmond is something special, okay? She's been around the block a long, long time. She needs to start getting more respect for her game because she scored some goals and, and provided some assists this year for her team that were just out of this world, man. I mean, goals that are of the highest quality. She is a top-tier midfielder that needs to get way more love. Melbourne City also added Ellie Carpenter from Canterbury United. Also, obviously, she's playing for Portland Thorns, but that's where she was previously in the W League, so you get her right back. You already have Steph Catley, who's world-class. You have Kaya Simon, who has battled her fair share of injuries. But when she's on and she's at her best, she's really good, too. So they were, you know, the best team all year long. As I said, undefeated. Only one goal in it to decide the match. Steph Catley in the 15th minute, you know, a nice little move on the counterattack, a little 1-2, and, and Catley shot it right at the keeper, took her chance. You know, you have to shoot, and it was similar to to I, I wouldn't necessarily say Rob Green in the in the World Cup, but it hit the keeper dead in the hands and it looked like she was going to stop it but was unable to keep it out. It's unfortunate that that was the one goal that won the game because it was so tough to decide between both. But you know you're thinking you're looking at Sofia Huerta, Princess Sabini, they were able to create some chances. The real difference in the game though was just Lynn Williams. She made a couple of key key saves to preserve the shutout, and that would be all that Melbourne City needed in order to get the job done. So you look at what Melbourne City was able to achieve this season, and, you know, undefeated seasons are so hard to come by. So when you can complete that, it's definitely something to remember. It's it's something special to say that you went an entire year without losing because that's so hard to do, so, so hard to do. And they honestly made it look easy. This is this is a dynasty, a W League dynasty for sure. And by the looks of it, they're going to look to keep it going into next season. Last piece before we wrap up, guys. Lisa Baird getting hired as the new commissioner. I believe we talked about it already, but her impact has already been so important on the league. That CBS deal, that media deal with CBS, CBS Sports, Twitch, to have that level of coverage is going to be amazing. Like, I cannot tell you, of course, we've had media deals in the past. We have the Lifetime deal, right, which, of course, didn't work. We had, at the end of last season, ESPN agreed, but obviously at the time, ESPN, if they don't see enough traction, they're not going to continue that deal. So to have CBS, again, such a major network, That speaks to Lisa Baird's connections. That speaks to her experience and her resume, as we've mentioned. I believe I mentioned in the last podcast, but just to run it back, 
worked at the NFL as, as a senior marketing executive, chief marketing officer for WNYC Radio, chief marketing officer for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. She's done anything and everything. So the fact that this deal was like one of the first things she needed to get done was huge, especially with the season coming up. So this deal is going to be amazing once the league is back in session. Again, it seems like, you know, the preseason's pretty much gone. The season is definitely going to be pushed back. I don't think it's going to be canceled. I think we will still get NWSL soccer this year. I still think it's happening, but it's just a matter of when. When is this pandemic going to end? That's why the the message is critical, guys. We all have to stay stay at home. And the more we stay at home, the sooner we can get back outside. That's really it. Stay inside now so we can get outside back to normal. Now, things may not necessarily even be normal after this, but to get back outside and playing, we have to stay inside first. That has to be clear. We have to do whatever we can to stay inside. Or, you know, even your house, whether you have a nice backyard or you have somewhere to play, right? But just stay on the premises. We need to do everything we can to contain this thing so that it will be over because we're still in April. It's looking like it could be May. It could be June. We still don't know anything yet, but what we need to do for sure is remain positive. Okay. And, and trust, trust that things will be better, right? We might not be in the best time right now, but we have to trust and have faith that things will get better and they will. You just have to believe and trust in whatever it is that you're doing. Focus on you. This is the perfect time, the perfect time to focus on you and you alone. And your opportunity to get better has never been greater because we know that this situation is going to be ongoing. So you have no other choice to either make good use of your time or you can sit and lose the momentum that you'd already created as you were getting ready to continue to play, right? Are you going to lose everything that that you'd already worked so hard for, or are you going to press on? How bad do you want it? That is the question. How bad do you want it? How self-disciplined are you going to be in a time like this? All right, that's all that we have for today. That was episode 33 of Give and Go. Thank you so, so much for tuning in, everyone. Again, for all the latest information, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network, on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. We've still got content coming out. We've still got a lot of things going on. As much as we can possibly bring to you guys, our Instagram page is popping. I'm telling you guys, be sure to keep logging in, keep checking us out. And again, thank you guys for subscribing, sharing, doing whatever you can with this podcast. We appreciate it so, so much. We love you guys. And again, stay safe and stay inside. Again, episode 33, it's a wrap. Thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you soon.